This morning we continue on in our sermon series through the book of Hebrews, looking today at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 3 through 7, my sermon entitled, Faith from Creation to Noah. The 11th chapter of Hebrews, which we began last week and which we will be in, Lord willing, for the next three weeks, is in some ways just a really long illustration, and it's an illustration With a purpose. The author of Hebrews is exhorting the readers to endure and to not give up. We must avoid reading this chapter like a collection of short biographical sketches. Uh, This chapter is more than that. Uh, These references to these Old Testament saints are an explanation and an encouragement to endure. And how is it we endure? Two words, by faith. Chapter 11 of Hebrews uses the phrase, by faith, 18 times. So over the next few weeks, as we look at these heroes of faith, let's make sure that we get beyond reminiscing about some of our favorite Bible characters. Let's engage these verses, this chapter, with the purpose for which the author of Hebrews included these illustrations in his Letter that we might endure. So let's read again chapter 11, verses 3 through 7 of the book of Hebrews, the passage that we focus on this morning. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The author introduces his illustrative examples for the most part, chronologically. And so it makes sense that he begins at the beginning or in the beginning, as the Bible says. He starts by talking about creation. Point number one, creation. Verse three, belief in God's work of creation illustrates how faith is the conviction of things not seen. Dutch theologian Herman Bevink writes of God's work of creation in his Reformed Dogmatics. He writes this, There is no existence apart from and independent of God who can only be known truly through revelation. God is the sole, unique, and absolute cause of all that exists. He speaks and things spring into being. The world is the product of his will the revelation of his perfections. It finds its goal in his glory. 
Scripture's teaching of creation is not presented as a philosophical explanation of the problem of existence. While it does give an answer to the question of the origins, its true significance is religious and ethical. Positioning us properly before God, the doctrine of creation points us to the majesty, goodness, wisdom, and love of God. It inspires praise and thanksgiving. It induces humility and meekness before God, and it provides consolation in time of suffering. The teaching of creation strengthens people's faith and confirms their trust in God. Now, that whole paragraph is helpful, but the last sentence is what I'd like us to concentrate on. The teaching of creation confirms their trust in God. In our passage today, the author of Hebrews is illustrating what he has just said about faith that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And his first example actually uses himself and his readers. By faith, we, he writes, understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There are two things I'd like us to consider this morning. First, the creation account which the author and his readers understand, is the biblical account. And second, understanding and hence believing in the creation account offered in the Bible is, we're told, by faith. And so let's deal with these in reverse order. Understanding and hence believing in the creation account offered in the Bible is by faith. No human has ever observed, no human observed what happened at creation, nor is it possible for us to reproduce that event. And really, it's not possible to verify it by any scientific method. God's creation of the universe from nothing cannot be demonstrated empirically. And thus, it qualifies as a thing not seen. And yet, the author the recipients of the letter, have a firm and fixed belief that creation happened. They have a conviction that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They hold to that conviction. They stand on that understanding by faith. And this posture, this attitude, this heart stance is commendable in God's eyes. Now, the second thing to consider is that this understanding of creation, this conviction of God's work, is from Scripture. Their knowledge and understanding of God as creator, their knowledge and understanding of his work of creation arises from Scripture. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, speaks of the formation of the world, of the universe, by the command of God. Now, this is a point of application for us this morning that builds on last week's passage and sermon. Faith, as we considered last week, is the assurance of things hoped for, which is the assurance in and confidence about the objectively real things God has promised that will come to pass and that we long for. So the phrase, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, is anchored in God's word, in God's promises. 
And we see this week that the phrase conviction of things not seen is also anchored in God's word. Both the descriptive phrases that the author of Hebrews uses to explain what faith is, both of them are anchored in God's word. The teaching of creation is a biblical teaching. And faith in this and belief in this unseen thing is through scriptures. We believe them because God's word says it happened. And so we are reminded again this Sunday that faith and God's word are intertwined. They are inseparable. As we consider faith over the next few weeks, Lord willing, we need to remind that faith and God's word are inseparable. Our faith depends on God's word. And that sort of faith, a trust in what God has revealed, is commended by God. By faith, the author and his listeners understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And they are the first of many examples to come of faith. And as I said, these examples come chronologically, and so we move from the creation of the universe to Abel, point number two, Abel, verse four. God approves of Abel when he makes a sacrifice to God by faith. Now, by faith will, for the rest of chapter 11, be a phrase that introduces numerous men and women from the past as people who were characterized by the faith described in last week's passage. The first example of these men and women is Abel, the second child born to Adam and Eve, their second son. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This first Old Testament example is found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. We read, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of ground, of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now this reference in Hebrews informs us of something that we are not told explicitly in Genesis. Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. Now some theologians believe that Abel's sacrifice was better because it cost him more than Cain's did, or because it was more like a sacrifice for sin involving the death of an animal, or that God must have instructed Cain and Abel to bring animal sacrifices, and Abel was obedient where Cain was not. However, what I think we see in light of Hebrews is that Abel brought a better sacrifice because of his faith. As one commentator said, there is an indissoluble connection between divine approval and faith. There is an indissoluble connection between divine approval and faith. And 
though the writer of Hebrews is not focused on Cain, let us make a point of application this morning that can be made in regards to our exercising of religious duties and disciplines. God rejects religious practices that are performed apart from faith. Cain is arguably the first example of this, a first example of many in the Bible who try to attain commendation and approval from God by simply going through the motions of religious duty without faith. Brothers and sisters, you should regularly attend church. You should regularly read your Bible. You should regularly pray. You should regularly disciple others and be disciples. You should regularly contribute financially to the work of the church. You should regularly share the gospel as God gives you opportunity, certainly. But if you are doing those things without faith, they are not pleasing to God. If you are doing them apart from a trust in God through Jesus Christ, you do them in a manner that God does not approve. Let us be people who do the things that God has commanded, but let us be people who do them in the way he has commanded us to do them, with faith. Let us do our duties by faith. Let us practice our disciplines by faith, trusting in God. And doing those things in the assurance of who God is, in what God has done, and in what he has revealed to us. We also learn from Hebrews that God commended Abel's faith, that is the point, more or less, of these examples, that they were commended by their faith, and that through his faith he was commended as righteous. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice and was commended by God. And similarly, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up. Point number three, Enoch, verse five. God took Enoch up because of his faith, and his faith was commended by God. We read in the fifth chapter of Genesis, verses 21 through 24, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. For 300 years after the birth of Methuselah, we're told Enoch walked with God. That is, Enoch lived a life of close intimacy and regular fellowship with God. And the book of Hebrews indicates to us that the manner in which Enoch walked with God is something that he was commended for. It was pleasing to God. As a result, we're told, Enoch did not die. Five times the author of Hebrews tells us that he didn't die. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Taken up. He should not see death. He was not found. God had taken him up. He was taken him up. The author focuses on the fact that Enoch didn't die, 
and that this was his commendation, having pleased God in his life. Escaping the dishonor of death was God's way of commending Enoch. I was contemplating this week, the life of Enoch. I thought the phrase, he pleased God, would be a, a good epithet to put on a gravestone. But of course, he didn't have a gravestone. Presumably, he didn't die. We know very little about Enoch. And so the thing that sticks out to me is that he pleased God. What a glorious statement to say about someone's life. So-and-so pleased God. And so we would do well to remember this morning that we ought to live lives that God will be pleased with. Now, as believers and as a church that hold tightly to the doctrines of grace, I think it's important to remind ourselves that pleasing God is a goal we should have. And why is that important to those who hold to the doctrines of grace? The reason it is important is because as you hold the doctrines of grace, you rightly recognize that in one very important way, it is impossible for us to please God. It's important to work this out because we believe the doctrine of total depravity affirms that sin has affected the whole person down to the very core of his or her her being, such that, as James Montgomery Boyce put it, we are radically sinful, so much so that we cannot take even the smallest of steps towards God unless he first intervenes. We cannot move towards God, let alone please him, Further, our sins put us under the just wrath of God. And we know that salvation is by Christ alone and only he can propitiate God's wrath. We can't do it. And so from that salvation standpoint, we cannot please God. We cannot merit salvation. We cannot get into God's good book. However, having been saved, We certainly can live and act in ways that please God. And we ought to endeavor to do that with God's help. It's an error to say we cannot please God without explaining what you mean by that. Because we can, after having been saved, please God. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippians, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God, Paul tells the Philippians, will help you. God does help you to please God. Paul also tells the Colossians, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We should pray that we walk in a manner pleasing to God. We should endeavor to walk in a manner that pleases God. And if we do, we need to understand he will be pleased. Now, the New Testament tells us many ways to please God in 
you guys know that I like lists. Listen to this list, not exhaustive, but listen to this list of the New Testament telling us ways in which we can please God. We can please God by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to him, Romans 12.1. We can please God by not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds, Romans 12.2. We can please God by not putting a stumbling block in the way of a brother's Christian life, Romans 14.18. We please God by being holy in body and in spirit, 1 Corinthians 7.34. We please God by preaching the true gospel and not adding to it, Galatians 1.10. We please God by sending financial gifts to support ministry, Philippians 4.18. We please God by walking in a manner worthy of the, uh, of the Lord and leading a life that bears fruit in every good work and increases in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1.10. We please God by obeying our parents, Colossians 3.20. We please God by speaking and teaching all of God's truth faithfully, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We please God by having a pure heart before God, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We please God by praying for civil government authorities, 1 Timothy 2.3. We please God by supporting one's own parents and grandparents who are in need, 1 Timothy 5.4. We please God by believing that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him, 11, Hebrews 11.6, which we'll get to in just a moment. We please God by offering worship to God with reverence and awe, Hebrews 12.28. We please God by doing good, Hebrews 13.16. We please God by sharing what we have with others, Hebrews 13.16. We please God by doing God's will, Hebrews 13.21. We please God by keeping his Commandments, 1 John 3.22. Brothers and sisters, let's let the declaration that Enoch pleased God be an encouragement for us to please God. And as we consider that, we must note that the very next verse informs us we cannot please God without faith. Point number four, everyone. Everyone's the example in point number four, uh, verse six of Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is required to please God. The author takes a break for just a moment from his list of faith heroes to instruct us a little bit more about faith. Having just mentioned that Enoch pleased God, we are instructed about the connection between pleasing God and faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The author gives us what I believe is a universal principle, a principle that is applied to every human being. It's a general truth that explains the indispensability of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Very similar to something Paul says in Romans 14. For he says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I think we need to wrestle with this for a few minutes this morning. The earlier admonition I gave to endeavor to please God with our actions and this further idea that without faith it is impossible to please God should 
elicit a question for us this morning. And out of that question and an application for followers of Christ, here's the question. How can we, as disciples of Jesus, endeavor to do good works by faith? How can we perform our disciplines and our duties and our daily tasks by faith? How can we do them not just going through the motions, but doing them in a way that pleases God? And so let's turn to a different section of the New Testament this morning as we consider that question and as we develop an application this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 through 12 says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. These verses specifically mention the work of faith. How do we ensure our works are works of faith that are pleasing to God and that are worthy of our calling? Well, first, I think we see in Thessalonians, we should pray for this. Dear God, help me fulfill my work obligations. Help me to perform my schooling. Help me to be a father or mother or husband or wife or son or daughter or friend that does those roles, that fulfills those roles in a way that is worthy of my calling, in a way that pleases you. Brothers and sisters, surely you see we need God's help to walk in a manner that pleases him. So let's pray for it. Even as Paul prayed it for the Thessalonians, let's pray it for ourselves. God, help us. Second, a work of faith seems to be initiated by the resolve to do good. We are called to order our hearts such that we desire and thereby resolve to do good to live our lives in alignment with what God's word says is good. We need to have the resolve. Third, we see in these verses that we do works of faith by God's power and by God's grace. And we should acknowledge that from the very start, that we cannot do works by faith in our own strength. We need the power of God. We need the grace of God. Particularly as they come to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need those things to accomplish what we're asking God to do, and we need to acknowledge that. And finally, our goal must be the glory of God, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. How do we do works of faith? Or how do we do works by faith? We pray for God's help. We resolve to do good according to God's word. We acknowledge our need for the power of God and the grace of God, and we aim for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's another clear application to make here this morning. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. 
Unbeliever, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, let me encourage you to put your faith in God. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith believes that Jesus is who God says he is. He's the son of God and God himself. Faith believes that Jesus did what God says he did, that he became a man and was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and died a death in place of sinners that they might be forgiven and then rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Faith believes that Jesus will do what God says he will do, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And for his people, they will receive a reward of eternal life. And for those who are not God's people, they will receive their just eternal punishment, being forever separated from God. Faith is putting our trust in Jesus for who he is and what he has done and what he will do. And apart from putting your faith in Jesus, you are not able to please God. You are not able to be commended by God. You will not inherit the salvation of God. Put your faith in God. The author of Hebrews goes on to say that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Remember, the idea of drawing near to God in Hebrews is tantamount to salvation. You must believe that God exists to experience salvation. Further, faith believes that God rewards those who seek him. What is it to seek God? It is to be a person who relies on God and trusts in his promises. And so believe him, he exists. Trust him, he rewards those who seek him. Put your faith in God. final example we consider this morning is Noah. Point number five, Noah, verse seven. By faith, Noah constructed the ark by which he and his family were saved. Noah, like Abel, was considered righteous. And like Abel, he walked with God. We read in Genesis 6, 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah responded obediently to God's word and began practical preparations for what God had promised would happen. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, perhaps in the heart of Noah, there was a little bit of fear concerning a flood that was coming. But we're told that it was the fear of God that encouraged him and motivated him to construct the ark. Noah's faith-fueled obedience to God showed the faithlessness of the world around him. It showed that they were under judgment. And by his good works-inducing faith, We're told Noah became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's an appropriate person to stop with, I think, this morning because he clearly illustrates the description of faith from verse 1 and 2 of chapter 11. Noah has the assurance of things hoped for, and he has the conviction of things not seen. He is certain 
of God's promise to save his family, so certain that he is building a boat in the middle of a desert. And he has a fixed and firm belief in things he cannot see. He believes a flood is coming. And he believes that God exists and that God will save him. And so he too receives the approval of God by faith. Brothers and sisters, in conclusion, by faith is how we endure. The author and the recipients of this letter, it is their faith in regards to creation that reminds us that faith and God's word are intertwined. They are inseparable. And so we too must have a life that is inseparable from Scripture if we are to live by faith. And Abel's faith calls us to, among other things, make sure that we are performing our religious duties with faith, that we do not go the way of Cain, but by the way of Abel. Enoch's faith reminds us that we can please God and we ought to try. Every human being is under the principle that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And in order to do works of faith, We should pray for God's help, resolve to do good, acknowledge our need for the power and grace of God and aim for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And unbelievers are encouraged by Enoch's faith to put their faith in God. And finally, Noah provides us with a summarizing example of faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And faith is the means by which we find the approval and the commendation of God. By faith, we will endure. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your saints of old who your word puts forward as examples and illustrations to us. We ask, Father God, that you would help us in regards to being people of faith. Help us to be people who are so entwined with your word that that anchor along with the anchor of faith, is part of who we are and how we live. Help us to not pursue you apart from faith. Help us not to just go through the motions of duty, thinking that that's enough. Help us, Father God, by your Spirit to understand that after having come to faith in you through Jesus Christ, we can live in ways that please you, and we ought to live that way. Help us to pray for your help. Help us to resolve to do good and to acknowledge our need for your power and your grace, and help us to aim for Christ's glory. And Father God, for any unbelievers who are here or who are listening and watching, I pray that you would help them to put their faith in you. Help us to endure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.